0: No one's better than me. It is Tuesday, May twenty sixth, which means it's time for power to the pod. Welcome to Locked on Dolphins. Brought to you by Bilt Bar. And today is all about what you, the pod, wish to discuss regarding our Miami Dolphins. No shortage of topics, and you guys once again deliver. But before we get there, we do need to talk about one prominent South Florida sports figure and his thoughts and reaction to what's currently brewing in South Florida thanks to the Miami Dolphins. So let's dig in. Miami Heat star Dwayne Wade spoke with Cameron Wolf of ESPN and talking about if Tua Tungavailoa is ready to be South Florida's next sports superstar. The first was Dan Marino, and shortly after Dan Marino's retirement, the Miami Heat saw Dwayne Wade come into the picture in 2003, and within three years, the Heat had won 59 games in one season, and the following season, Uh, An NBA championship, which is the quickest way to ingratiate yourself with fans in any city. So, but if if anyone knows what it takes to win over the South Florida sports fanhood, it is Dwayne Wade for what he did between the Shaquille O'Neal championship and the LeBron James championships. Three NBA titles for Dwayne Wade's Miami Heat. If you want to call him LeBron's Miami Heat when LeBron was here, that's fine. But three total championships since 2000 for the, the Miami Heat. The Dolphins have one playoff win, and that came in the year 2000. If you want to know why Miami right now is so much of a basketball city, it's because of, for 20 years the Heat have had 14 winning seasons and three championships. The Dolphins have had seven winning seasons, and five of those came between 2000 and 2005 two winning seasons in the last 14 years. But this prospect of becoming a football town, you know, it's, it's one of the popular debates for the South Florida sports community. Dwayne Wade said it himself. If the Dolphins get it going, it's going to be a Dolphins town. We did as much to make it a basketball town as possible, and the Miami Heat are here to stay, but let's not get it twisted. Florida's football, once they get their stuff together, and I'm paraphrasing, they're going to be big and bigger. But those Heat guys are going to battle him for it. Two has got to earn it. How you put yourself in that conversation is doing something great, something that people have not seen before, and obviously winning. Dwayne Wade knows all about how to win over the South Florida community, but interestingly enough, he did concede that this has the potential to become a Dolphins town, and if this team rights the ship and starts winning, and you don't have to go any further back than like the Dan Marino era when Anytime on NFL films, there's that throwback Miami game, the 85 game in primetime against the Bears when the undefeated Bears came to town and the Orange Bowl. And listen to that stadium, and the refs have to stop the game and, and tell the fans to keep it down. And you can't hear anything at all, or think, or see straight. And that passion didn't go anywhere. But the Dolphins haven't rewarded fans with a product that commands that kind of adoration at all in 20 years. The product that they had in the early 2000s was promising, but they kind of kicked the quarterback thing down the road and they had everything else. It was ironic, right? Because when Dan Marino was here, Dan Marino didn't have reliable pieces at so many other parts of the team, not a complete team. As soon as Dan Marino left, all of a sudden you had a complete team minus the quarterback, (laughs) and the team was winning 9, 10, 11 games for several consecutive seasons, and competitive, and a quarterback away. So the Dolphins have not had a complete team in a really long time. And the moment that the Dolphins have that, and they pair it with a coach, which we'd like to think we have in Brian Flores – even the architect that made Miami a basketball town is willing to concede, yeah, this has the potential to become a football town once again. But the Dolphins, you gotta win and you gotta do it in a way that's special. And to Tonga Bailoa for all of his star power, he has the capability of doing those things. So that is why. There's so much optimism surrounding, even not just amongst fans, but amongst pundits in the draft community and people like Dwayne Wade who who have seen winners and who know what it's like and know what it takes to get to that point of owning a city. And we can only hope that's what the future holds for the Miami Dolphins with Tua Tungavailoa and Brian Flores. Let's get into some of these power-to-the-pod questions. First one comes from Haitian Matt. Uh, Matt left a very gracious review of the podcast. Thank you very much. Uh, His question was whether or not Bobby McCain needs to move back to his natural position or keep him at safety. Um, I think Bobby McCain's got a seat at the table for the foreseeable future. And I think the fact that he's got experience playing both safety and nickel corner and outside corner, maybe not to so much of a successful degree. I think that plays to his advantage. And I think that gives him value for the dolphins and wanting to play. So multiple on the back end and playing multiple on defense. So uh, whether or not his long-term fixture view is at free safety or not, I think a lot of that is going to be determined by what his play looks like this year. We only got a, a about a half a game sample size of Bobby McCain in 2019, and it was up and down. He had some nice plays in the Dallas game, which was a game that I was uh, fortunate enough to attend live in person, and that game stood out to me for the right reasons. But uh, you know, Bobby's got to prove that he can wrestle this starting job definitively. He's young enough that he can be a long-term piece of the puzzle, but I think – Uh, regardless of whether or not he moves back. I do think he's someone who is going to be a mainstay. Uh, I don't think a cap casualty is something that is necessary for Bobby uh, McCain-ish. With NFL stadiums opening back up for players who had injuries, will Tua go down to get treatment and rehab? Uh, The Dolphins, to my knowledge, have not opened up their facilities yet. Uh, they are eligible to, but the last that I had seen is they were not one of the teams that has people back in the building at this point. And even when they do, I think to, having the opportunity to work with, uh, those who he's been closely working with, uh, brings him more value than coming in and, and flying to South Florida when none of the coaches are able to be there and none of the other players are allowed in the building and, uh, He's, he's working with a really good team, and he, he him playing at Alabama, he's had resources and, and accessibility to resources uh, that non-top-end athletes couldn't even begin to dream of and imagine, and, and he obviously being a number five overall pick and signing his contract with a massive signing bonus, it's a fully guaranteed contract, so he's going to get $30 million over the next four years. He's in good shape to financially, you know, take care of himself and make sure he's doing what he needs to do. And he would not be at this point in his rehab process if he had not been busting his ass on his own. Uh, so for the, f- the time being, I do not foresee uh, Tua heading down to Miami to do rehab there when he's been having some success doing his rehab uh, on his own. Next one comes from St. John. What if the Dolphins traded for Juju Smith-Schuster since it seemed like the Steelers might lose him in free agency would like to get something for him? Well, If they lost him in free agency, this is a team that's strapped for cash. If Ben Roethlisberger decides he wants to play more than just this season, yeah, Pittsburgh's cap's in trouble. And especially if the NFL ends up cutting down on the salary cap versus what it's supposed to be based on loss of revenue sharing from loss of ticket sales. That will make for some very difficult decisions in Pittsburgh, and and Tua and Juju seems to have a nice little bit of chemistry between the two of them. They've interacted some uh, in person over the course of uh, the offseason. They were even palling around a little bit together. So I would not dismiss Miami as a potential outlet for Juju Smith-Schuster if the team... Besides, Smith-Schuster is the odd man out. Uh, they have a ton of bodies to pay in Pittsburgh. They don't have a ton of cash at their disposal. Uh, Miami, you think about Shane Gailey and, and how he has targeted receivers in the past, how his offense has worked best, it's with big-bodied wide receivers. Juju is that. you know He is more of a slot, but him working over the middle of the field and being beneficiary of Ah, uh, the accuracy of Tua would make a lot of sense. Uh, what would he cost? That's a conversation, I guess, for another day because that can get pretty uh, and get pretty hairy trying to d- dissect just how much Juju Smith Schuster would cost when he's a high end player or has the potential to be a high end player at a down year this past year, and and his play this year may uh, make Pittsburgh's decision for them much easier or much more difficult. Uh, last one from the iTunes reviews, and it comes from R Berg. Uh, Let's see. Some nice, very nice comments from Arberg to start. Thanks for bringing the spew and providing great content. Question Will Raquan Davis be an every down player on both rushdowns and clear pass rushdowns? Thanks, Kyle. Uh, He has the potential to be. I don't expect Raquan's going to command every down reps early on, even as excited as Brian Flores was to have him. You know, maybe we get into some odd front looks, and you've got Raquan Davis and Christian Wilkins and Emmanuel Ogbo with the hand in the dirt, and Shaq Lawson is kind of a, a stand-up hybrid, and Kyle Van Noy off of Ogbo on the other side, and you know that can be your five-man rush group, and and that's a pretty athletic, long, physically powerful blend of guys. Some pretty. Physically impressive dudes there in that potential group and and Miami playing to trying to uh, subscribe to defensive backs and coverage is more valuable than pass rush, which it seems to be what they're doing. You know, they want pocket pushers. They want guys that could stay sticky so that the pocket can get pushed and collapsed onto those quarterbacks. That, I I think Raekwon Davis has a a pretty good ceiling. I think this fit with Brian Flores is one of the better landing spots you could have projected for Raekwon Davis coming into the NFL uh, based on Flores' ability to stay flexible with his scheme and and put players in the best position to be successful instead of just asking him to be a three-technique or just asking him to be a two-gap player. So raquan has got that working for him. Our next take comes from Built Bar. Our protein bars are the best. And this take is 100% fact. Built Bar, more protein than your average protein bar. One-seventh the carbs and sugar of your typical protein bar. And uh, these things eat like candy bars. They are terrific. I have been pumping the gas on Built Bars for the entire month of May ever since these things first touched my lips. But I don't want you to take my word for it. Go to builtbar.com as a listener to the Locked On Network. You can use promo code Locked On to save ten dollars off your first box of Built Bar. That's builtbar.com. Promo code Locked On saves you ten dollars off your first box. Have your first box of the best protein bar you will ever taste, thanks to Built Bar. First Twitter take today comes from Chris. On a star scale of 1 to 5, with 5 being the best, how do our positional groups match up against opposing groups within the AFC East? As an example, Miami's defensive backs, 4 stars, versus Buffalo Bills wide receivers, 4 stars. Are we division ready? This is a good question. Um, there's probably a lot more to this than what I'm going to be able to touch on in the here and now, but I will take Miami's defensive backs versus Buffalo Bills wide receivers. Uh, I do think Miami matches up against Buffalo uh, fairly well. I I have talked extensively about the Bills-Dolphins dynamic with my co-host of the Draft Dudes podcast, Joe Marino, who's a diehard Bills fan, and uh, he's kind of admired the template the Dolphins are taking on here, and he's like, man, this is a template that can beat the Bills. This This is building a team to beat the teams in your division. And at the end of the day, if you do that, if you take care of business, you go 5-1 and 4-2 and in the division every year, you're in great shape. You go 500 the rest of the way, you're going to be potentially hosting a, a a playoff home game in the first round of the playoffs every single year. So uh, Miami against Buffalo specifically, uh, I think getting pocket pushers will help uh, with Josh Allen. They've struggled greatly getting home on Josh Allen when they have gotten home on Josh Allen. Uh, They haven't been able to get him to the ground, and when he gets outside the pocket is when he has killed Miami. Uh, So I think the sub-package groups uh, to play press man coverage, stay sticky uh, initially, and then close and contain Rush around Josh Allen to force him to sit within the pocket instead of getting outside and breaking contain and then using his legs as a weapon is a step in the right direction. Uh, impossible to say what the Dolphins offensive line is right now. I know the potential of this thing right now with the personnel that they have is probably a three-star line. Uh, Would love to see them get another stud somewhere along the way, a stud and anchor in the middle, right? Because we're talking about the loser of Robert Hunt, Jesse Davis playing at right guard and, Uh, Eric Flowers signed a three-year, $30 million contract, and he had a good year last year in Washington, but by no means is he like an all-pro player, despite his former lofty high draft status, and Ted Karras on a one-year, $4 million deal. So if Miami could come out of, hypothetically, the 2021 NFL draft, and they get like Creed Humphrey from Oklahoma, who was an interior offensive lineman, was arguably the number one interior offensive lineman in this year's class before he went back to school in a surprising decision, and a wide receiver, uh, I think Miami's offense would be in much better shape. But, you know, they, I'd also like to see them go get, you know, another dynamic pass rusher. And I'd like to see them go get a free safety and another wide receiver. So there's a lot of ways Miami will have to go. But, uh, Chris, I'm, I'm going to touch and tap on this throughout the course of the week and go matchup by matchup. Because um, this is a great question. There's a lot of layers here. Uh, but as far as Miami's DBs versus Buffalo's wide receivers, I like. I like Miami's matchup against every other pass catching group in the AFC East. I think Buffalo is the toughest challenge. I do think they have equal talent to that of Miami's secondary. Uh, the jets pass catching group is underwhelming. They, they lost Robbie Anderson replaced him effectively with Brashad Perryman and Denzel Mims, a second round safety out of Baylor. Uh, they do get Chris Herndon back at tight end. Uh, And then the New England Patriots have Julian Edelman. Uh, James White is a pass-catching back out of the backfield. Uh, Nikhil Harry, former first-round pick at wide receiver. I like Miami's matchup in the secondary against everybody in the AFCs. This is a good question from Jack Ross as well. Devontae Parker had a great 2019 season. Did he make the leap on his own, or was a success due to playing with an experienced quarterback? Will he be effective with a rookie quarterback? Devontae made the leap, and I think it was a little bit of everything. Right, I think he got a quarterback in Ryan Fitzpatrick that's willing to throw the high point ball with consistency and let his guy go up and make a play. I think Devontae Parker finally got his health right, and I think he bought into the coaching staff. And I think that from a mental standpoint, Devontae is a very uh, confidence-based individual. Once he gets in a groove, once he feel, he's feeling himself, he's hard to stop. And that was, I think, the biggest thing for Devontae is – He got a guy that gave him chances in Fitzpatrick to go make a play. And if Tua has that mentality, you'll see Tua throw back shoulder throws. and uh, He'll lay him up deep. Uh, He'll throw away from coverage in tight coverage, his tight window throws. He's got the uh, spatial awareness to throw away from defenders. Uh, I think it was a drop snap against Tennessee. And he had a free rusher coming in his face, and and it was in the red zone. And he he put a beautiful ball out for his tight end, and it just his tight end couldn't come down with it. But it was a very catchable ball, and it was a good example of, okay, that's it's a fifty-fifty throw, but it's more like a a seventy-thirty throw from the perspective of the defensive back might get a fingertip on it, but he's not going to get a hand on it and create a turnover. So, I don't think Devontae Parker's uh, threat of a drop-off is with a change at quarterback necessarily as much as it is keeping him confident and building momentum because that seemed to be a big piece of, of what he uh, was able to thrive with. Golsky, so many fans I talk to believe Rosen is still the answer. Is their path back for him now or can we put all this to bed once for all? Well, I mean, if you're a Rosen supporter still to this point, I, it, Josh Rosen's given us as Dolphins fans, no reason to dislike him other than the fact that he couldn't commandeer a painfully bad roster and make it good uh, while trying to process a complex offense. I know some Dolphins fans did not want Josh Rosen before the draft in 2019, but he's here now and, and he's working hard and it's not like he's out, you know, getting in trouble or, or being aloof or, or not taking his, his job seriously. Uh, so I think we should all be rooting for Josh Rosen to redeem himself and, and reclaim a career as a starting quarterback but it probably won't be in Miami. I think the pathway for that to take place in Miami is the simplified offense makes it much easier for Rosen to just relax and play ball. Uh, Fitzpatrick leaves at the end of the year. The Dolphins keep him to be the primary backup to Tua. Tua gets hurt. He steps in, and he thrives after, effectively, what would be two years on the bench. And if Rosen does that, I mean, then, yeah, he's going to kickstart some appeal for potential trade value for him. But what gets complicated there for the Dolphins is now you're in the fourth year of of his rookie contract. So you re-sign him to a modest deal and then try and flip him. Do you hope somebody signs him big and you get a a compensatory pick of significance for him? Uh, So so Miami's going to have to let this one play out a little bit. But I think all signs point to him not being the answer in Miami based on uh, the Dolphins drafting Tua. How does Tua's accuracy change the offense? Do you see Gasecki on the field or more Wilson and Grant? Big speed versus target. So Chang offense has typically implemented a lot of 11 personnel. So that's one back and one tight end on the field. So I think you'll get primary back, Jordan Howard, obvious passing situations. You'll get more Matt Breed as a threat out of the backfield. Mike Gasecki, big slot or off the, off the line of scrimmage inside the box. So he might be H-back or tight end, but not have his hand in the dirt, or a real close split, maybe one yard off the tackle uh, for spacing purposes. And then you'll have three wide receivers as your other three skill guys. So that will be a Devontae Parker, Preston Williams if he's healthy, Albert Wilson, or Jakeem Grant. Uh, I think that's your most likely, most frequently used offensive personnel for the Dolphins. Their base personnel, I would expect, is going to be a lot of 11 personnel. Uh, Jakeem Grant, man, I know I got a question down here about asking uh, how many times I watched the Jakeem Grant... Who asked me this question? I had a good laugh out of that. How many times did you watch the Jakeem Grant videos? Uh, I don't know if you guys have seen these or not, but this dude is grease lightning, and it's so fun to watch him He's, he's been working out on some field, and, uh, working on his releases and his cuts, and he's definitely 100% again. So <laughs> he's instilling some hope that like this can be the year. And I think I believe that was the caption for the first one that he shared is, uh, I am a wide receiver. Well, he's going to have a chance to prove he's a wide receiver. And because he's small, th- this question goes back to accuracy, right? To his accuracy. And a smaller receiver – who has game-breaking speed and can make house calls if you hit him in stride and he can hit a crease, that's Jakeem Grant. He's the only guy on the roster that has that capability right now. So this is a big opportunity for Jakeem Grant, but the problem is you know, if you're working him slot, he's going to have to work through traffic, and he's had trouble with durability. So that's where I get a little worried for Jakeem Grant's durability and availability for 16 games. If he can do it, he's going to be one of the primary beneficiaries Uh, of Tua once Tua gets on the field. David wants to know how well I think the Texans do this year. with Two teams clearly better in their own division as well as increased disparity between the front office and the players. Even with Watson, do you think we can still go to top five pick? I think Watson would have to get hurt for you to have a top five pick come out of the Houston Texans uh, because Deshaun Watson's that special. That's the bad news. The good news is... I don't know if you guys have seen this schedule to start the year. But they start at Kansas City, and then they're home against Baltimore, and then they're in Pittsburgh for the first three games. That's their September slate is Kansas City, Baltimore, Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh having Big Ben back. A lot more healthy guys, you know, James Conner healthy, Juju Smith-Schuster. They're going to be a problem. Pittsburgh is going to be back to a 10-win team, in my opinion, this year. Uh, so us getting their pick at, at 18 from 8-8 eight and eight, uh, for Minka, it is what it is. But it could have been much worse. And thankfully, uh, Ben Roethlisberger's inavailability uh, allowed Pittsburgh to, to finish at a decent spot for Miami in the standings. After that, by the way, their next four games, Minnesota, who is an NFC contender, Jacksonville, okay, that should be a win, at Tennessee. It's a road division game, not very favorable, and then Green Bay before their bye week. There is a realistic possibility that the Green or that the Houston Texans could start the season with one, two, three, four, five. You could they could be two and five going into the bye week on November 1st. They come out of the bye, they play at Jacksonville at Cleveland. Then they're home against the Patriots. In Detroit, home against the Colts, at Chicago, in Indianapolis against the Colts, home against the Bengals, home against the Titans. Back half of the schedule is pretty favorable. So we should be rooting for, like, chaos. And here's the thing about chaos. If they start the year 2-5 and after trading DeAndre Hopkins and everything Bill O'Brien's done, this team might punt it. This team might say, Bill, we're done with you. Give him the Adam Gase treatment. Right? Just Everybody just quits. And if that happens, okay, well, the, well, then we might be cooking with gas here as far as what this Texans pick ends up being. I expect this team will be somewhere around 9-7, and 8-8. Eight and eight. I think they've got plenty of flaws. I do think there's some bad chemistry here. I do think they downgraded significantly at wide receiver despite bringing in Randall Cobb and Brandon Cooks. And they don't have assets to replenish, so it's, it's only going to get worse from here in my opinion. Uh, Kyle Smith is trying to kill me. Here's the stakes: if you're right, you get a lifetime supply of built bar. If you're wrong, you'll never eat built bars again. Are you taking the over or under for Dolphins wins at seven and a half? Jeez, man. All right, let's pull it up. I've done this before, and my my early projection for Miami was nine and seven. I think they'll split with the Patriots. I think they'll split with the Bills and I think they will sweep the Jets. So that's 4 and 2 in the division right there. Then they are in Jacksonville, give me a win there so 5 and 2, lose to Seattle 5 and 3, lose to San Francisco 5 and 4, lose to Denver 5 and 5. I think they'll beat the Chargers at home 6 and 5. Uh, I think they'll get one of the Rams and Cardinals so that's 7 wins. They play the Bengals, it's eight. Give me give me over. Give me the over on seven and a half. I think we get there. I think it'll be close. I think it might get dicey. But I, I would put it down for the Bilt Bars. Now, don't expect me to actually do that. If they don't get eight wins, I will still most certainly be buying Bilt Bars because this is not a formal proposition. Uh, Nigel, I like the idea of signing Jason Peters and, or Larry Warford, not just for on the field presence, but to vet, to have veteran linemen, to mentor the young guys, your thoughts. I agree with you wholeheartedly. Uh, I'm not sure how much or how interested the dolphins are in such a proposition. They haven't seemed to be too engaged on either one of those names, but Warford makes a ton of sense for me at right guard. Cause that's the weak link for me right now on the offensive line. um, Assuming Robert Hunt wins the right tackle job, you know Jesse Davis inside at guard. He is the guy I would like to ideally have bumped to be uh, the util offensive lineman, and he can play you know guard, tackle, both sides of the line, whatever. I think that's a home run proposition. I think that makes the Dolphins' offense better. I think the leadership aspect that you did mention for so many young guys—Solomon Kindleys, Robert Hunts, or the Austin Jacksons, even the Michael Dieters of the world. Like, yes, absolutely, sign me up. It should not be a bank-breaking proposition to bring Larry Warford in. I don't know that we get there, though. Uh, there's some questions about 2021 draft. I don't want to get into that quite yet, namely because I haven't gotten there yet. Right, this May has been decompressing from 2020, kind of overviewing as the dust settles. June 1st, which is Monday, next week, we're kicking off 2021 film studies for college prospects, so that's something to look forward to. Uh, to a season, do you think there's another big splash Miami tr- either trades for or signs like trading for Jamal Adams or Yannick Ngakwe or signing Javion Clary or Larry Warford? No, I don't think it actually happens. Uh, Larry Warford, maybe because he's an interior offensive lineman, that positional value is not super high, but that's probably the only realistic option that's that's provided here I don't think the Jets are going to trade Jamal Adams to the Dolphins I don't think the Dolphins are interested in Yannick Ngakwe despite I feel they should be because he doesn't seem to fit their prototypes right he's he's more of a uh pure speed rusher off the edge they like the heavy hands they like the length they like the the lower body explosiveness to collapse and and play through contact and and Yannick's not that and They've got Kyle Van Noy, who they gave a big contract to. So I don't think, I don't think they're going to be in play for Yannick. My man, Rashad, guy with the one dimple outside of the quarterback position on offense and the positions in the secondary on defense in your position, in your opinion, which position group holds the next important value to this team? So excluding the quarterback and the secondary. I think offensive line is an obvious answer, right? Because it's it's about protecting the quarterback. So I'll, I'll give you one, Rashad, I'll give you one on offense and defense. Offensively, I do think it is the offensive line group, specifically uh, the interior offensive line. And I say that because if we're going to run gap power, we're going to run downhill at teams, we've got to be able to to win inside. And this is a team that couldn't do that to save their life last year. But you even look back to when the Dolphins had good offensive tackles, when we had healthy Juwan James and Laramie Tunsil. This team still couldn't run the ball consistently because they had bad players at guard. It's like we were content to have no two good offensive linemen starting next to one another. We went good, average, and he was a short-term plug replacement, and he got hurt, and then the guy below him was – a bad and then center was okay and then the right guard was bad and then the the right tackle was good well let's get some good guys playing next to each other instead of being staggered and never giving anybody a chance to kind of gel and consistently win at the point of attack so the interior offensive line I think if we get that right that's going to help we're going to be solid from the inside out and eliminating that interior pressure in the face of of the quarterback, I think it is going to bring a lot of value as well as winning running downhill. I'll say linebackers for the position group on defense that's next important in value because Flores is going to ask his linebackers to do a lot. You think about Kyle Van Noy and his value as a rusher, and you think about Kyle Van Noy and what he can do in the pass game and in run fits, and Jerome Baker with his range and – Some of the plays that he made in pass coverage last year that got eliminated because of teammates' penalties on those plays. And Raquan McMillan being a guy, like, can he get any kind of positive value in the pass game? Because if he can, like Raquan can be really good. He's already really good, but he's just really good in run defense right now. And he doesn't have to play 850 snaps and constantly be on the field. But if you could get into a point where he's not a liability. And you don't have to work so hard to protect him in coverage. You can continue to throw opposing coaches changeups based on personnel matchups. If you feel like a tight end's not going to threaten you in a specific matchup, you can keep Raekwon on the field for some more games and really, or some more downs on a specific game, and really help to eliminate the, the threat of a team busting one up the middle on you. Or if you want to go Superman heavy and you're not afraid of getting beat over the top, we can really congest that box. You know, you can roll Eric Rowe down in there and play man-to-man tight end against against the tight end, and Raekwon as can be a blitz, a pressure player. So, I think the linebackers—it's kind of counterintuitive because linebackers are generally seen as a low-value position on defense, kind of like the running backs of the defense. But I think Brian Flores' linebackers are going to be asked and charged with doing more than your average linebackers. So I would say them and their versatility makes them the next and most important position group on defense after the secondary. I hope you guys enjoyed this episode of Locked On Dolphins, Power to the Pod. I had a great time talking. You guys brought a bunch of great questions. Uh, we've already gone over a couple of these questions that uh, we're going to have to tap into a little later down the line because there's a lot of context to get into there. So I look forward to digging into some of that stuff later this week. Make sure you hit subscribe on the podcast. Come back and see me again tomorrow. I'm Kyle Krabs signing off. Keep it locked in right here on Locked on Dolphins. Thanks for listening.
1: Is your team eliminated from the playoffs and in need of reinforcements? Maybe it's time for a rebuild, or maybe they're just a player or two away from taking home the Lombardi Trophy. Either way, join Keith Sanchez and Damian Parson for Mock Draft Monday on the Locked on NFL Draft Podcast.